Friday nights on the fan pregame Sportsnet. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We're on for the next 90 minutes, folks. Putting in that Friday night grind. Can't say that we don't put the effort in for the weekend. Uh, we got Raptors and Clippers tonight on Sportsnet 1. It's been an interesting week for former Raptors. Pascal Siakam triple-double last night. OG getting chance in New York City. Got 26 points last night. Kawhi Leonard back in town for his annual appearance it's going to be some reflection time with Sirit Stowe in about five minutes from the ringer yeah we'll see if Kawhi can go eight no uh versus the Raptors since uh <laughs> leaving uh, on the main network tonight doubleheader in the NHL Florida will look to dump more misery on the Penguins at, at 10 p.m St. Louis will visit Seattle all four of those teams though long way to go to match the Oilers who won their 15th mm. in a row last night we're going to preview the NFL Conference Championships weekend. Uh, Casey in Baltimore and San Fran in Detroit later with Amy Trask at 6.30. And we'll also touch on an interesting, I guess mm-hmm. it's a rumor, or at least a storyline making the rounds regarding the Kansas City Chiefs and their head coaching uh, post. But first, I think we got to address like the stakes here for the Raptors at this point in time. Okay, we're like leading up, obviously, to the February 8th trade deadline. That's a big touchstone on the entire season, clearly. Uh, We're going to learn a lot about the team, I think, and what their plans are until then. Mm -hmm. And then I guess we'll just deal with whatever's post-February 8th, post-February 8th. But right now, the Raptors have the sixth worst record in the NBA. And for the sixth worst record in the NBA, well, they're in some position to hold on to their first-round pick that they traded away to acquire Jakob Pertl. And it's, it's... it's pretty big stakes, right? Like the sixth overall pick, if that's it, and I know that's not guaranteed to be it because there's a position or a, a, a situation where they move up in the draft or fall out of sixth, and therefore they would lose the pick anyway. But having, let's say, the sixth overall pick versus having to give away your first-round draft pick, which could be of uh, any certain value, is a big, big swing and something that Raptors fans are going to keep in the back of their minds here throughout the rest of the season. And I just don't know if it's going to shape what they're going to do over the next 10 days or so, if it's going to be something that kind of changes the way fans think about the games and the rest of the season. I just think it's a bigger story than than being talked about, at least in terms of you know the general discussion of sports in this city. So you have to either tank real hard and try to get one of those six lowest spots. Uh, right now, they're... There's some teams they can never get as bad as, right? There's the bottom of the bottom the Raptors can't touch. But they could find a way to be in, you know, the fourth or fifth or sixth worst spot in the NBA. And that's kind of a hard thing to sell to a team that just acquired R.J. Barrett, who's a young local talent. IQ, of course, who we've already come to really like and appreciate his addition. And then Scotty Barnes, who uh, Darko Ryakovich is saying is going to be the face of this league and obviously the face of this team. So you got, let's say those are your building blocks for now. That's exciting and that's enticing and that brings a newfound energy that we were seeing with this Raptors team right away. But if you want to be in the bottom six, those things kind of are counterintuitive, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you need to sell off even more to really tank this season to be able to get a a first round pick? Then there's the other side of it, um, which I mean, I'm not a draft expert, but everyone that I hear talk about the NBA draft is saying that this year it's a weaker draft than normal. I mean, that to me is, well, would you rather have a pick or not a pick, right? Even if it is a weaker draft, if there's a team that I kind of feel a little bit of confidence in or or think could find a diamond in the rough, is it not the Toronto Raptors? Like, mm-hmm. they have proven to do that before. Or just a team to make best use of a pick mm-hmm. that could be six overall. And, of course, 
you know, the, the quality of the draft affects what they're going to get or what they got in return from the Indiana Pacers, which is a pick that could be, you know, in the low 20s, mid 20s when it's all said and done. So the quality of the draft makes sense and maybe accepting the medicine and just getting it over with and moving on and, and just building for the future uh, as quick as possible makes the most sense. But I do see a tremendous value in a, in a pick that could be in the top yep. six. And I do see the concern with subjecting Scotty Barnes to another, you know, poor and meaningless end to the season and introducing Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett to that. And those three can build and have a positive last couple months of the season, even if Bruce Brown is traded and Gary Trent's traded and they strip it down even more. I just go back to Masai Ujiri talking about how he hated watching his team. And that's paraphrasing. That's maybe the stronger words than he used, but he didn't like what he was watching. And if we get to the point where another Raptors season, which is, you know, pretty critical in their timeline, the trades of OG and Pascal are landmark moments for this franchise, really. But if we get to the point where you're just kind of running out the clock on another season and it's not fun to watch them play, even with additions, what, what does that do to the players? And what does that do to the core that you need to build around sooner than later? And we'd like to add a six round or six overall pick type of talent to them as soon as possible. It's a it's a big conundrum and it's gonna be interesting to track as we go here. I wonder if if this is me just selling a dream that isn't maybe there, but Masai trading Pascal, trading OG, obviously having to make some tougher decisions. Does that mean that he's been mentally kind of preparing to go in that direction a bit? Like we've been asking about picking a direction, picking a lane for the Raptors. And if they had to do the harder things, which, yeah, they might have been easier to do last year, and they might have been better decisions to make last year at the trade deadline or last offseason. Park that. Does that make it easier to strip this down a little bit more and to sell off some of the core and sell off some of these pieces that had, you know, a heartbeat of this Raptors team? Because you just kind of did it. We saw maybe the most emotional we'll ever see Messiah Jury, right? But that Pascal was his guy, like really was his guy. Does it make this next eight games or this next stretch of two weeks um, until the trade deadline, does it make that approach you're a little bit less, you know, uh, with horse blinders on, right? You can start to think, you know, we've been able to get rid of some things that were emotional. Is it hardened him enough? Made him cold like somebody, you know, like that discussion they had at the podium? Does that help? I I, I don't think it hurts. I I just think the heavy lifting's done, but like finish the job, right? Mm -hmm. Like just empty empty the truck, right? (laughs) Pull the Band-Aid off. You don't want to be thinking about or or doing doing the same sort of stuff next mm-hmm. season. You like this hard reset where it's like, this, this is now our future. This is what we have. This is what we have to continue to support. And if it just sort of lingers where part of the work was done, but part mm-hmm. is still outstanding, like, I just don't think that's a great position for everyone to be in. I, I do think the worry is, though, I mean, they got the 24th easiest, easiest schedule down the stretch. Mm-hmm. They're going to win some uh, some basketball games over the final couple months and weeks of the season. And that might just pull them out of the number six territory uh, anyway. And again, there's still a draft lottery and all that, but you want to put yourself in the best position possible when you're a losing team. And I guess just whatever way you slice it, the Raptors are going to kind of end up in a spot where it looks pretty unfavorable having given up the draft pick that they did. So I think we could probably agree that the worst case scenario is like being a seventh or eighth worst team, right? And having that reflected in the draft lottery, yes. So to get to be a six or worse team, I think at this trade deadline, it's time to sell for assets, time to sell for like picks for future, right? 
And that's just that, like sometimes when you think about that, that could be a hard thing to sell to a team that's playing. It could be a hard thing to sell to your your fans that, you know, still want to see wins. But like telling a, telling an organization, telling a fan base, a city that you kind of are going into a mini rebuild is tough. But you have some of the really good skeleton pieces that I think like it's not a rebuild that's going to take eight seasons, ten seasons. Right? I think the Raptors could find a way to make a quicker rebuild, right? They're not starting from zero. They have Scotty Barnes. Like, he was the rookie of the year. You're not starting with a, a bare, like, blank slate. So I think just the perception of having to, hey, we got to take some steps back to take some steps forward is sometimes hard to sell. But we have been begging for the Raptors to take a direction, and I think they're right there in the turning lane to take the direction. They just need mm. to put the gas pedal in. And since we're doing worst case, let's do best case. You get the opportunity to pick inside the top six. Mm-hmm. Masai Ujiri makes a smart pick inside the top six, and you give away that first-round pick when it's not as valuable because you've improved the team. Uh, let's get to our first guest of the day, Sirit Sohi of The Ringer, to talk a little bit more about the Raptors and Kawhi's return to Toronto tonight. Uh, how you doing, Sirit? Hey, guys. Not too bad. Oh, oh, I want to be wherever my... you are. What? Up right now. You can't come on with my sunshine. My power just went out. <laughs> my power went out five minutes before I was supposed to talk to you guys. So um, I apologize for things like that that just happened. I hope they don't happen again. But this is kind of we're uh, we're working on the fly right now. Yesterday we had an interview with Ardo Cal, who was in his car in the pitch black with like uh, you know the overhead light on. And now you could not be more opposite in a beautiful, sunny, warm. Like, we're just, we upgraded big time with this. Now we're jealous, though. (laughs) We're extremely jealous. (laughs) Yeah, I figured with Kawhi's return, I would torture you guys a little bit with some some L.A. sunshine. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about the Raptors. Like, I don't want to call it current plate, but uh, it's the situation that they're in where uh, they're only going to hold on to their pick if it's top six. uh, And they clearly have some moves they could make, but ones they might want to ponder. They've already given Pascal and Siak, uh, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi away for new parts to support Scotty Barnes with. Uh, what is What should be the ideal right now? Should it just be, hey, this is basketball, let's win some games? Or should they be totally focused on pressing the reset button as hard as possible while they can and looking to next year? Uh, I think it's a really interesting question. I've been mauling it for quite a while now, basically since they made the trades, because I think, you know, the next, the, the, the next half of the season basically decides whether or not they get that pick that you're talking about. Right. And right now they're right on the line, right? Like mm-hmm. the Nets lost yesterday, Memphis. I mean, they, they lost that game to Memphis. And if you want them to get that pick, that's great. Uh, I think it depends on how much of an appetite the Raptors have for a long rebuild. I think that it, I, you know, you kind of need to balance the need for Scotty Barnes to hopefully get some playoff experience. But I think one team that has been exceptionally patient and could be a model for the Raptors, depending on their appetite for a full rebuild, is uh, Oklahoma. And if you look at Shea Gilgis-Alexander right now, basically the most important playoff experience he's had is, you know, playing game. And he's in sixth six season right now and is a top five MVP candidate. And I think that the way that OKC has approached their rebuild is a great example. It would take a lot of patience, though, and I think it would take a pretty strong stomach as well. I think we're already seeing um, the Raptors fan base, media, everybody is sort of adjusting to what a rebuild actually looks like in practice as opposed to theory. And it's not always fun. The Memphis game was... 
that was not fun to watch them collapse. But you kind of have to, I think, as a fan, focus on different things. Um, and, and we can get into that stuff. But, yeah, like, that that's a, that's a team that now, like, they, they got Shea and I think it's second year. Um, so it's five years on that team. And you have to stomach, like, you know, we were – Probably in uh, Canadian media, it was like one of the biggest, and fans were one of the biggest culprits of this. Like you have to weather the sort of like, hey, is Shea unhappy? Will he leave? We might have to weather that with Scotty Barnes. But I think the most, like, uh, uh, be as patient as you can be, in my opinion. Because the other thing also is that the 2025 draft is so much better than 2024, where I would rather almost give up the pick now so that you have your 2025 pick and then we'll see how the rebuild goes. But if you're in the lottery again, that's just a much more valuable pick. Is uh, the core of Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett and Scotty Barnes, what you think the Raptors should just hold on to maybe get assets for Gary Trent jr. Bruce Brown and make this like the starting point for this rebuild. However long it takes, is that what you view kind of holding on to and, and circling your future around? It sounds like that's the Raptors plan right now. Like those three that you mentioned, but I would also say that, you know, in any scenario, like this league, it shifts so fast. Incredible superstars become available. And, you know, you have to strike while the iron is hot. I think RJ and Emmanuel quickly, especially Emmanuel, like they do seem part of their short to midterm plans, maybe their long-term plans. But at the same time, I don't think anybody should be untradeable outside of Scotty Barnes. Uh, it's a big week for the Raptors ecosystem. At least it seems Pascal Siakam triple double uh, last night for mm-hmm. Indiana. OG getting chanted uh, in uh, at Madison Square Garden. Kyle Lowry, of course, is in the news. Adrian Griffin fired. Kawhi back in town. <laughs> uh, the world maybe revolving around the Raptors this week, at least in our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the most interesting Raptors adjacent story for you right now? Oh, that's a good question. I think I've, I've found the fan base... And everyone sort of having a hard time with watching Siakam and an OG do so well has been really interesting, at least from a Raptors perspective, uh, because it kind of reminds me of when you get out of a relationship and the person that you were dating is now successfully in a different relationship and they're happy and maybe you're, I mean, <laughs> that was, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you're kind of, you start wondering was I the problem here? Uh, when in reality, yes, like there's, uh, there's obviously always room for reflection. Uh, but in reality, I think the Raptors and with Siakam and OG, it was just a marriage that had, you know, it, it had run its course and it had begun to just not really be good for either party. And I think that when you're seeing those two two guys thrive, to me, it's it, it tells me two things. It tells me that you obviously did not trade Pascal Siakam at the W, but in at this point we have to kind of move on from that. We we know that. Um, the other thing it tells me is that it was probably time to break up because those guys <laughs> seem happy, and I think mm-hmm. it's time for the Raptors to kind of find their own happiness. Let's go into the OG uh, trade because they're like what eleven and two since OG joined the Knicks, and uh, they're chanting his name at. Like, it's been really sweet to watch because I, I love OG. It's kind of bittersweet, though, at the same time because there's your ex uh, doing well with someone else. Has he changed maybe, like, what the goals were for the Knicks or changed what their trajectory will be? Because, you know, he's really, really shown. And I think people are putting more respect on him now because he's not in a Toronto market. He's in a, you know, a major market, at least, uh, about what he can be and what this team could be. I think on top of that, too, OG Ananobi, because of the type of player he is, because he's such an incredible defender, um, and he's such a great catch and shoot guy. 
on a team that has playoff aspirations and wants to make it deep into the postseason, what he does inherently just brings a lot more value than it did to a team like the Raptors. Not to say he wasn't valuable to the Raptors, but it's just, you know, those those sort of like grunt work, gritty skills, like as you move up up the echelon in, you know, your in your part of your uh, rebuild, those skills just become a lot more valuable. So I think that's part of it too. But yes, New York loves Oji Anunobi. <laughs> What's not to love? We've known this for a very long time. So it's 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 nice to see he is on top of sort of having one of the most interesting personalities in the NBA. He's, you know, charming. People like him. I think that that will continue. Uh, I do think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think it should change New York's trajectory, like you said, they're eleven and two. We've all seen the plus-minus numbers with OG Anunoby on. Um, just the other day, like Denver opened the game in their Jokic minutes, they scored seven points in in the first quarter before they called a timeout. New York had like twenty, like, and we're talking about New York here. Uh, that just say their defense is strong when it had fa- kind of fallen off a cliff before OG got there. They could get Mitchell Robinson back if they do. I'm like, what? Like, it's it kind of like they're playing. They're playing a. Uh, the heat tomorrow and I'm like okay it's the 90s again like you're gonna have two like two of these smash mouth teams um in the garden Pat Riley will probably be there uh and it's just it's 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 a lot of fun to watch and because of them giving up players for OG they still have all of their picks they still have Quentin Grimes it seems like they want to commit to McBride for their future but he's also on a great contract Fournier they still have the Fournier contract they're still in a position to trade for a big time star. I don't think that star is out there right now, but like the OG on if you are a star, his being there definitely fortifies them being an attractive city to come to. Yeah. It feels like they got another move, whether it's this year or, or soon down the line. Uh, it, it feels like that Knicks team could be good in short order. As mentioned, Clippers in Toronto tonight mm. to take on the Raptors, a uh, two part question on this one. How do you assess the Clippers legitimacy and, and where's, Where's Kawhi Leonard's uh, power at right now? Like we maybe we saw him at the peak of his powers when he won a title with the Raptors. Are we far from deviating from that? Only slightly deviating from that? Where's Kawhi Leonard at and where are the Clippers at right now? I think he's a little bit better because he's a better playmaker than he was in Toronto. I think that was a part of his game that we were starting to see come on, especially towards the end. And he had started to figure those things out. I think that him working with Nick Nurse was really great that year. And also, like, playing alongside a guy like Kyle Lowry, who just, you know, just by virtue of his intelligence, he allows you to see angles that weren't there before. Uh, But in the years since, when Kawhi's been healthy, his playmaking has really improved. And now you see him working at a double teams incredibly quickly. Um, He's always been strong. He's stronger now. I think that one of the changes that he made two years ago was just adding more strength, knowing that he's going into a different phase of his career. He's not the lockdown like, you know, he checks into a game and LeBron James shudders and looks terrified defender that he used to be. But he's still a really, really high-level defender, and I think he's better at defending certain types of guys. And, you know, you accumulate time in the league. You just you, you pick up tricks. I think he is just as, if not slightly, better. And that's, to your other question, that's why the Clippers have legitimacy. I think they have the second-best player or the best player on certain nights in the Western Conference right now. And... You know, top three at the very least with, you know, Shea, Jokic, and him. They're kind of trading spots all the time, right? So, um, and he has the experience. And I think, like, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when, like, the, the team would just be bleeding points and then Kawhi would just steady the ship mm-hmm. with 
a mid-range jumper that you just know he can get to whenever he wants to. It's like that, except it's a little bit lower. It's in the mid-post now for the most part. And, I mean, his efficiency numbers all over the floor have skyrocketed since James Harden got there. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of sacrifice from everybody else in the team, but you are you go as far as your best player can take you, and he's one of the best players in the world right now. And we're going to see him tonight 7-0 uh, to against the Raptors since he was, uh, you know, he left us here. So another X that's going to maybe wreak some havoc mm-hmm. on us tonight. Uh, we appreciate your time, Sirit. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the sunshine. It's, uh, we're a bit jealous here. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> thanks so much. Sirit Zoe of uh, The Ringer. It's nice to see that again. It's been months. Yeah, I saw earlier this week uh, online that Toronto had only had 30 hours of sunshine this winter. So whatever amount that How we are just we still alive? whatever like we're, amount we're not supposed to live without that sunshine. we just got through our Zoom call that I feel lighter. Yeah, feel I feel better. like I got a little extra boost. Of Thank energy. you to Sirid for that for going outside for us. Ah, vitamin D. Um, all right, we got we we're gonna touch on something quickly here before we take a break. Uh, spicy NFL coaching rumor. Now this is from Adam Schefter of ESPN. Let's play the clip. Because this is something that did not even cross our minds when we were talking about, oh, hot seats, who's moving around, coaches, where's Bill Belichick going to go? Well, how about this? At some point in time, Andy Reid could walk away from Mm -hmm. football. So if the Chiefs were to win the Super Bowl this year, could that, would that make him more likely to walk? And if he did walk at that point in time and you're the Kansas City Chiefs and Bill Belichick were still sitting out there, would that not be an interesting possibility if that's what Andy Reid decided to do? That would be an interesting possibility, Adam. If if the Chiefs were to win the Super Bowl, Andy Reid deciding to retire, and then older coach Bill Belichick coming in and taking over the Chiefs was not on my bingo card. No, I definitely <laughs> didn't consider that. And I guess, like, you know, why would you? Andy Reid has no reason to move on mm-hmm. from his post. Still a youngish guy. Still a guy who can coach. There's no reason why we'd be thinking about it. He's only 65. But, but since Schefter's talking about it, and since Mike Florio also talked mm-hmm. about it, and Craig Carton of Fox Sports brought it up recently as well, like, there, might be some, mm. there might be some smoke here uh, for sure. And it does make a lot of sense from Belichick's perspective. Like, uh, we've been, we were talking about it yesterday, and we'll talk about it in a couple minutes with Amy Trask. Why is this not worked out for Bill Belichick? How can all these bad teams not take maybe the best coach that's ever done it? Why would they not be interested? Well, maybe Bill's just not interested. Maybe he thinks, hey, I can take a year. I can take mm. some time, maybe not do a podcast, but take some time and actually get a great spot because guess what? I know that a guy like Andy Reid might only have a couple years left mm. or one of the other great coaches in the NFL might be ready for a new challenge. So it might behoove Belichick to just, chill for a little bit and if he gets to step into that situation well you can just basically lock in that wins record uh all time because if he joins a team like the chiefs although he might not have his fastball anymore it's gonna be good enough to win some football games he could win some super bowls too yes like 100 this would be absolutely the power move of all okay you guys think that i didn't find a seat just wait i'll have a seat next year I'm not doing my podcast. I'm not doing a media career. I'm waiting patiently. And I guess if you're the best coach of all time, do you want to settle for a situation Mm. that is beneath you? Like, it was kind of a weird thing to think that he would go to Atlanta or maybe he'll go to Washington. Like, those are opportunities, but are they the best opportunity? I think the Kansas City Chiefs would be the best, best opportunity for Bill Belichick. Yeah. It'd be crazy. Two seasons in Atlanta or one for KC and you just take a year off. Like, it might be, you might be more fast-tracked taking the year off. Off, but there's no asterisk for Belichick. 
But if he plays for the, or if he coaches the two best quarterbacks of all time in Brady and Mahomes, <laughs> like, yeah, there's, a, there's another reason why you got to the wins record in the NFL. We'll just say that. All right, we're going to talk about this and more with Amy Trask in about five minutes after the break. And then we're going to do some best bets, including our thoughts for this weekend. Uh, I'm all over the dogs. That's my preview for you. Well, you just gave your bets out. Well, no, yeah, I'm all over the dogs. Okay. Who are the dogs? Maybe you don't know yet. That's a, good, that's a fair <laughs> point. Uh, we're going to talk to Amy Trask about that. And then to wrap up our show at 7 o'clock on Sports at 590, the fan only will be with Smith & Jones to help you tee up Clippers and the Raptors at Scotiabank Arena. That one's on 7 p.m. on Sportsnet, uh, 7.30 p.m., sorry, on Sportsnet 1. All that to come next on the Fan Pre-Game. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the fan pregame, Sportsnet 316, Sportsnet 590, the fan here until 7.30 when we throw it to Clippers Raptors at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, but this is a big weekend ahead, of course. When we're back Monday, we'll have the Super Bowl set. But until then, just a lot of mystery and intrigue and potential matchups that we're going to rank a little later in the show. Let's bring in Amy Trask, CBS analyst. Amy, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, big weekend ahead. I bet you're very excited, just like us. Well, thank you for having me, and and I am. It is an exciting, exciting weekend, and and there they should be some very, very good games. Yeah, the games are going to be fantastic, and we're definitely uh, excited to talk about them to tee them up. And yet, Bill Belichick, the specter of Bill Belichick, <laughs> continues to override uh, my emotions and my thought process here. Uh, I guess there's a couple layers we can we can peel here, uh, but just in general, Bill Belichick being left without a seat at this point. After, you know, the divorce with the Patriots and uh, interviews with at least one team in the Atlanta Falcons, does it surprise you at all that Belichick's in the position that he's in? Well, I don't look at it from the perspective um, of left without a seat. He may not have wanted any of these seats in particular. He certainly did interview with Atlanta. He must have been intrigued enough to do so. Um, You know, it may just be that there wasn't a fit for him this year not necessarily only from the perspective of some teams, but from his perspective. Uh, You know, we all have seen some things go on in New England the last couple years, and there's a lot of reasons why they haven't performed the way they have. I still think he is the best coach of all time, and I think he will have opportunities again, whether it's to be a head coach, whether it's to advise a young head coach, whether it's to add um, sort of in a senior advisory role or at, uh, or to join as a head coach in the next go-round. So I don't think we necessarily heard everything we're going to hear on this topic. What do you think's on Bill Belichick's wish list, though? Uh, you know, we, we know he met with the Atlanta Falcons, but if it wasn't a fit in terms of his perspective or theirs, what do you think he's prioritizing in terms of if I do make a return as a head coach, this is the ecosystem I want to be in? I think that's a great use of terms, ecosystem, because he may look for the right environment as relates to ownership and management and who is constructing the roster. I think the environment in which he would be working would be very, very important to him. And of course, very intriguing would be 
who the team has at quarterback. You know, Jim Harbaugh is joining the Chargers, and he walks in with Justin Herbert, and that's another topic we can go into if you wish. I raise that only because something like that could be very intriguing to Bill to walk in to a quarterback who is very, very, very talented, but who has not yet been positioned to be his best because he's not yet had a spectacular head coach. So I think the environment will be important to Bill. Many people are positing the idea that if he doesn't have total, total, total control over everything, he won't be interested. I'm not sure that's the case. He may be at a point in his career, a point in his life, where he's willing to say, you know what, all those roster headaches, I'll leave them to everyone else. I'm just going to coach. Yeah, if Bill Belichick just waits for a quarterback, I mean, uh, that might be the path to least resistance, at least in terms of getting a coaching record, but also just have a fulfilling final chapter, if you want to call it that, in his football coaching career. I mean, just not rushing into a job where it's, you know, Desmond Ritter or Taylor Heineke, uh, you know, that might be the best thing for Bill uh, if he so chooses to go that route. I do wonder, though, if there's a theme for you that's developed here as it pertains to the uh, coaching carousel, because it seems like teams are prioritizing something different, at least than Bill Belichick uh, right now. And again, Bill Belichick has his his opinion and all this as well. But in terms of the coaching hires that you've seen this year and the candidates that have been chosen, is there like a common thread here? Is there, is there a direction that NFL teams are going that is somewhat similar or all these kind of in their own ecosystems, I guess? Oh, that's a that's another terrific question. And, you know, off the top of my head, I would answer that a lot of teams are going with coaches that are being highly, highly recommended by the teams for which they worked. And that, of course, is extremely smart. You want to hire someone that other people endorse, if you will. There's a wide, wide age range of coaches. Um Dave has has gotten a job. I think he's only 37. I may be off on that. I think one of the coaches who was hired is close to 60. My point is I, I might not have those ages spot on, but it's a great range of ages. And I think that's very, very interesting. Jim Harbaugh, proven head coach. We saw what he just did at Michigan. We saw that he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl when he was last in the NFL. He's a proven head coach. Um, And then some coaches who haven't been head coaches are getting opportunities. So I don't know that there is one particular theme. Yeah. And then uh, with one team, at least with Vegas, you had Max Crosby just basically saying, hey, if it's not Antonio Pierce, uh, I'm gone. Uh, And that's a powerful tool as well, at least if you're a player looking to play for a certain somebody. I want to circle back to Jim Harbaugh because obviously it's a fascinating story. Uh, The Michigan title, the Michigan baggage, if you want to call it that, the opportunity to play with easily the best quarterback available, at least in terms of teams without coaches. In your opinion, how powerful, powerful is the Harbaugh experience? Like if we talk about culture and setting culture, is Harbaugh going to come in here and make the Chargers almost unrecognizable? Um, I think I think that's the hope of many Charger fans in the following regard. They want to see a team that is just look, let me back up and say this because I want to set the stage for my experience with Harbaugh. Uh, when I was in Oakland, he coached for us for a year. So he wasn't there a long time because he had an opportunity to go back to college. And, you know, many, many people thought that Al would be so angry that, you know, here he was, he had an opportunity with the Raiders, but he wanted to leave fairly quickly and go into college. And that's not the truth. The opposite was the case. Al told him, you go follow your dreams. Al supported him. Al encouraged him because Al saw something 
very special in Jim. And to all the people who say Jim is hard to work with, I may have only worked with him for a year, but I will tell you, I did not find that to be the case at all. He is passionate. He is, you know, he approaches things with vim and vigor. And I love that. And I think that's what he's going to do with the Chargers. I know that's what Charger fans want him to do with the Chargers. They have a lot of talent on that team. And that talent has never been best positioned to be its best. And I think he'll do that. We're chatting with Amy Trask of CBS. Um, I want to ask you about this weekend, of course, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, it's not often that you get Patrick Mahomes as an underdog in an opportunity like this. And how do you view this this game? Is it an opportunity? Is it a challenge? Is it a, a legacy-defining moment for Patrick Mahomes? I'm going to use a very, very technical term to describe this game. It's a football term. Get ready. It's delicious. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it is just a delicious, delicious matchup. Um, I don't think it's legacy defining for Patrick because I think Patrick has done a darn good job already mm-hmm. setting his legacy. Um, you've got two teams with just terrific head coaches, two teams with terrific quarterbacks, two teams with terrific defenses. I mean, this is a matchup. I really think, you know, as much as I'm being silly saying that delicious is a um, technical football term, which of course we know it's not, I am just being silly. It really is delicious. I mean, what more could you want in a matchup? I think it's going to be a great game. And I, you know, I might have a different view as to your question. If the game was in Kansas city, they are on the road Yes, they just went into Buffalo and won on the road. And I know from experience, it is hard for the visiting team to win a game like that in Buffalo. But they did it. Um, And now we'll see what they can do in Baltimore. But Baltimore has just been so special all year. There's sort of a je ne sais quoi. (laughs) You know, there I go. I'm using delicious. I'm speaking French. Yeah, wow. (laughs) there's, There's just something really special special about Baltimore. Okay, I'll use a different word. I won't speak French. Um, although, you know, I am in Canada. It's almost appreciated up here. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, it, it's, there just feels like there's a little bit of magic mm. around Baltimore. But again, two teams with phenomenal defenses, phenomenal head coaches, phenomenal quarterbacks. I can't wait for the game. <laughs> yeah, for me with the Chiefs, it's almost like a free roll at the table uh, where, you know, they've been playing roulette oh, for the last five AFC championship games, winning Super Bowls, winning a lot of money. And it's, are we going to leave the table like unbelievably rich mm. or just real rich? Because uh, And it does feel like they're going to leave the table after this. And I don't know if that's really a right uh, or correct assessment in that hey, they might take a step back next year. Do you, do you think there is some finality here? And I know there are Andy, Andy Reid rumors out there, and, and you can touch on those if you like. But it, it feels like uh, the best of the Chiefs, uh, at least in this moment of time, we may be seeing it just now, and they might have to regroup just a little bit. Do you see it that way at all? Well, first I'll touch on the Andy Reid point. That has been rumored for a while. We don't know if it's true, which you noted. You know, it, it is a rumor. It's I call it chitter-chatter. We don't know what will happen in that regard. But as to the Chiefs having to reset, really that's the case for most very, very good teams every mm-hmm. year because people come after available players that are on the rosters of the best teams. That's why you see the Super Bowl winner lose a lot of players to free agency and otherwise because other teams say we want what they have and they're willing to pay and players who are on the winning teams as they should 
try to maximize what they can do. So, you know, when you ask if the Chiefs have to reset, you know, I think every team has to do some amount of reset. And I guess part of that maybe finality thing, and again, Travis Kelsey might play a couple more years, but like the, the, some guys getting to maybe the end here, and Patrick Mahomes is going to have a part two. It's just when that part two, uh, I guess, will start in earnest. Uh, you were touched on the Ravens and the je ne sais quoi about them. They've had playoff demons in the past, though. Like, is one win over Houston enough to be convinced that, hey, everything that may have plagued them in big moments and with Lamar Jackson specifically, well, well those days are over. Well, first of all, and I'm saying this to be silly because I realize this was many, many years ago, and this is not to what you were referring. But I am going to say in the spirit of fun, you're talking to the girl who worked for the team (laughs) who Baltimore beat in the conference championship when we were the home team. You remember that? Remember Tony Siragusa? Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you because that was a long time ago, and that's obviously not to what you were referring or the game to which you were referring um, but as you're talking about the Ravens not having gotten it done, all I wanted to do was sit here and cry for a little bit. So, you know, if we stay on the radio, I just I just may burst into tears because I will always remember sitting there at the uh, all right, I'm going to talk myself down, you know, a crying path. So I won't talk about it anymore. Um, Lamar is very, very, very special. And we are seeing Lamar um, be even better than he has been in some regards. And, and that's just saying so much. He, he can kill a team running. He can kill a team passing. And what I've liked to see so much from him this year is he'll start as if he's going to run. So you see a defense start to shift to, you know, protect against him running and he'll immediately stop and see that something has opened up, which it does quite often when he's going to run and he'll throw the ball. I mean, if you're a defender defending Lamar, you might just want to cry too. Like I just wanted to cry when you talked about Baltimore, you know, in the playoffs. Uh, it looks like Debo Samuel will be available uh, for the Niners. It just coming out now, uh, confirmed that mm-hmm. he should be playing. So how does that change the reality for that team on Sunday against a fun and gritty Lions team? Uh, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Um, having Debo as part of that offense is going to be um, tremendously valuable to the 49ers because then if you're – look, it's – Football is math. It's 11 on 11. So there you go. You line up against the 49ers and you say, where's Debo? Where's Christian McCaffrey? Where's George Kittle? And you now, you've got three tremendous, tremendous weapons. So having Debo out there is a very, very big deal. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I smiled when you used the word gritty <laughs> about Detroit because they, they are gritty. And, you know, Jared Goff goes back to um, the part of the state of California where he went to high school and college. And of course, I have to give that a shout out because we went to the same college. So um, he is a fellow Cal Bear and he's back in that area. And that too is going to be a great game. Yeah, uh, it definitely is. Uh, And we mentioned free rolls for the Kansas City Chiefs, or at least I did. I mean, I think it's the same way for the Detroit Lions. And I feel like that's what makes them dangerous here because I think there should be all the pressure in the world on the 49ers. They've been knocking on the door. They've kind of had the same thing that the Chiefs have had, at least without the Super Bowls in the last five years or so. So I feel like the Lions, you know, if they embrace that, where it's just like, hey, we can we can be dangerous here because we have a lot less to lose. I think that can really help them in this game. Do you see the Lions being chance takers in this game? Do you see them kind of playing their own game and really going after it uh, and doing things I, I, that might be unconventional because, hey, they're in a position to do that. 
Uh, I, I'm smiling as you're saying, do I see the Lions being chance takers? And I'm going to say this in the sense of being funny because I'm or let me say this rhetorically. You've seen Dan Campbell, right? <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you, 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 let me introduce you to Dan Campbell. Chance takers. And, and by the way, there's times he takes chances. I don't think he should. Mm. There's times I think his situational game management is a little too chance takey, if you will. But you're right. They're there. They can play free and loose. They're the road team. And um, I, I think they, they will take chances. Yeah, and it might be the opposite with uh, Kyle Shanahan, who's notably kind of uh, been a, a little less ambitious with those chances mm. uh, in previous big games, and it has uh, come back uh, to bite them. Uh, last one for you, Amy. Do you have an ideal Super Bowl matchup here ahead of conference championship weekend? Um, honest to gosh, I don't, and I'm not, I'm not looking to punt, if you will, <laughs> to use that expression. I think any of these matchups would be just sensational. Baltimore, San Francisco, delicious. Kansas City, Detroit, delicious. Baltimore, Detroit, Kansas City, San Francisco. I like them all because we are here with four exciting, exciting teams. As a Bills fan, it's a little less delicious for me, but I've jumped onto the Lions bandwagon because I feel that energy. Uh, I can relate to the gritty, well, fun squad, you know? <laughs> as a Bills fan, I will say to you before I jump mm. off, I just love what Bills fans do when they turn something terrible into something mm-hmm. positive. Uh, Tyler Bass, who missed the field goal, mm-hmm. was receiving death threats. And I'm come on, people. Yeah. This is a football game. I spent almost 30 years in the National Football League. I cried tears mm-hmm. when we lost. I understand the agony of defeat. But I also understand keeping life in perspective. Mm-hmm. It was a missed kick in a football game. And people are threatening his life. And Bill's Mafia rallied around him. They found a charity he loves, a cat rescue charity. And the last time I saw the numbers, Bill's fans, and of course, fans of other teams jump in as well. Non-football fans jump in as well. They follow the Bill's Mafia leadership. And they'd raised almost $300,000 for his charity last I looked. So you know what? It was always rough to play the Bills in Buffalo. I hated when we were the road team there, but I have so much respect and love for the good Bills fans. I love that. Uh, We appreciate the support. And yeah, I I just double checked. I think it's over 300,000. And, you know, there's a lot of Chiefs fans as well donating, which I think is really sweet as well. Absolutely. Oh, and and Taylor Swift fans are donating. That's true. All the best. (laughs) Right. Every time the Bills do something like this, people jump in from all over Mm -hmm. and they support what the Bills are doing. And frankly, the Bills are showing leadership. Bills fans are showing what leadership is. Bills fans are showing how you turn something unhappy into a positive so i thank them all oh, thanks for that uh i was saying thank you because i'm a fan but like no pass it on to uh, the entire bills mafia but that's really sweet. do that yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know what for the bills fans who are sending death threats i'm not including you in my i love you yes, statement good <laughs> they're excluded uh thanks so much for your time today amy we appreciated the chance to chat and enjoy some delicious football this weekend and you as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Amy Trask of CBS, of course, uh, former CEO of the Oakland Raiders as well. Yeah, a lot of de- it is going to be a delicious weekend of football. I'm I, I think that now. might be the best <laughs> word to describe things. I, I do find the situations these four teams in to be quite interesting, though. Like if we're doing a pressure ranking, mm. I think it's the 49ers one yep. and massive, like acres of space before you get to the next one. And then probably. Ravens, Chiefs, Lions? 
Because oh, the, I, the the Lions could not be further to the bottom. Like zero, they are. Yeah, they, they they. I mean, I mean, you get to the final four, you probably want right, to put yourself in the best team, position because there's no guaranteed after thirty right. years that you're going to get back here anytime soon. But it feels like they're playing with with house money right now. Like one hundred percent. And so I feel like if you're ranking the top four teams in terms of pressure index. Lowest for the Lions. Yeah, and, and definitely highest uh, for the 49ers. Again, in the last four years, three NFC Championship game appearances, one Super Bowl appearance, zero wins. Uh, this team has been there for a long time. This team has a coach who coughed up a 28-3 to Super Bowl lead when he was with the Atlanta Falcons. This team is supposed to win, given the amount of talent they have on the roster, with the one exception, they've got the quarterback in Brock Purdy. But you Mr. can't Irrelevant. use that as an excuse forever, and that's that, why the pressure that, is exactly. high. Exactly. That's going to be the thing where it's like, okay, everything else is perfect about this football team. And again, that's probably used a little too loosely. However, I don't think anyone is sure this guy can get it done. And it might not be rainy, so the ball might not be slipping out of his hands. And he might have the perfect conditions to go out there and perform in a defense that he maybe should be able to carve up in the Lions. But it's also Brock Purdy still. And I don't know if Brock Purdy can win two more games. In, in this season and, and win the Super Bowl. Uh, and and that would be interesting and telling. I don't know where it would send the 49ers, but this team has to win sooner or later. They're too good mm-hmm. to not have won to this point. Uh, I just think the weight of the world is going to be on San Fran, and I think it might affect the way this game goes. Where do you put the pressure on Lamar Jackson? I think slightly ahead of the Patrick Chiefs. Holmes? Like, yeah. I, I do think there's, like, this might be the last ride for well, Kelsey, right? Yeah. It could be. Yeah. We just saw his brother go, and Travis Kelsey, although he was brilliant last game and has been since the playoffs uh, started, um, he, the end is near for him. Mm. It might be for Andy Reid. This team might have to reinvent itself again under Patrick Mahomes. Normally, you can't stay at the top forever, and Mahomes might have to like take a dip before building a, another really strong group up. So there's fi- the finality thing might put some pressure here, but the Ravens are the best team all year in the NFL. The Ravens, at least in the AFC, the Ravens should have a lot of pressure because they got the MVP of the regular season, Lamar, likely, and they've got a brilliant, brilliant team that was, in a lot of ways, head and shoulders above everybody else in the AFC going in. That should make them Super Bowl favorites. That should put the pressure on them, given that they haven't won yet. And yet, I just don't think they're, like, next year they'll be back, right? I feel like. Yeah. Even if they don't get it done. But I feel like the pressure, and that's why Lamar Jackson might be just a tiny bit higher up on the pressure index because people have been naysayers of Lamar Jackson his whole career, right? The playoff record. like It's, it's easy to say, does this guy have it when it comes down to it? And you're going to get to go against the best, right? So what an opportunity to prove that that isn't the narrative that should be written about you. So I would put them one rung above, then the then the Chiefs, and then way down here. Mm-hmm. The Lions. My which, Lions. I, which, again, I think works in their favor big time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they can go they can into that like game fresh. playing like, free yeah. and they can do whatever they like and put pressure. Like, it was, it almost might be as though the Lions have an extra set, uh, an extra play mm. per set of downs because they can just go for it on fourth. Mm-hmm. When Shanahan in the back of his mind, fourth and two, do I trust Brock Purdy to make this short pass into the flat to get us these two yards? I think the mental aspect of that game is fascinating. We should do some bets on these games. We should. Almost forgot. Um, it's Friday night. You know, we're cashing my checks here, checking my bank account of my all my bets I won yeah. last night. Um, I did win the last PWHL bet I gave you, so we're riding it back here. Uh, unfortunately, against my PWHL Toronto fandom, who are about to hit the ice in eight minutes, we'll get this bet in. 
My best bet of the night is PWHL New York on the money line parlayed with over four and a half, folks. We did this the other day. The overs are starting to hit because they've moved them so low that it's time. Uh, that's plus 230. So New York money line and over tonight. That's at Madabee in about 10 minutes. And I won't be there because we'll be on the air for another half an hour, baby. Uh, I'm going to risk uh, playing against Pascal Siakam and the Indiana, Indiana Pacers once again. Uh, it burned me yesterday, and mm. I'm not as hot as you are in terms of picks. Like, I'm, uh, I need one here. Uh, the Suns are not dealing, though, with the second half of back-to-back, and they are four-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Indiana. A fresh, hot team in the Suns who are winning a lot of games right now versus a team that just put a lot of energy into beating mm. the Philadelphia 76ers, so I like the Suns tonight. Also on the weekend, Australian Open Finals. On the men's and women's side. Yeah, you're side. parlaying back I'm into... playing the chalk. Sabalenka Where's Neil from Newfoundland? Minus 170. Neil from Newfoundland, if you're listening, we need you. <laughs> uh, and this weekend, I'm playing the Lions in different ways. Correlated parlays like Lions, money line plus golf, yardage, uh, Jameer Gibbs yardage. I'm going to find ways to do like extreme outcomes on mm. the Lions. Boy. And for the AFC Championship game, which is the main event, I got the Ravens-Chiefs double result. Ravens win the first half. They come out hot. They got a lead. Wow. And then the Chiefs magic comes through in the end, and Patrick Mahomes goes to another Super Bowl, and guess what? He's going to win another one. My bet is as simple as it comes, folks. Two money lines, both dogs, Chiefs and Lions play in the Super Bowl, plus 800. You want it to happen. It's going to happen if you just manifest. You just put your heart and soul into it. That's how sports betting works. And... I want to see those two go head-to-head because then you get the gritty Lions and you get Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl, which apparently the NFL scriptwriters are trying to do anyway. Mm. So if you if you believe in that stuff, they obviously want her there. You might as well pick with your bet to put her there as well. And in about a half hour, we'll debate where a Chiefs-Lions Super Bowl ranks in the best potential Super Bowl matchups. With Holly and Mike. We're getting yeah, our, our colleagues on the show on a Friday night. Uh, we'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll be back on Sports Up 590, The Fan, with Smith and Jones ahead of the Clippers and the Raptors.